This is The Blood Doctor Show. On a Thursday, a closeout Thursday, in which the Phoenix Suns are going to close out the Dallas Mavericks. That's what will be happening tonight. I'm putting it out there in the universe. I am preaching the energy into the world. And I am just letting you know, this is a closeout day. This is game six. This is when I said it would end. Suns and six. Devin Booker is a killer in closeout games. We know that. I'll be betting some sort of Devin Booker prop tonight. I would encourage you to do the same. And overall, it's just an exciting time to be a Suns fan because we are on the precipice of our second straight Western Conference Finals. And after what the Grizzlies did to the Warriors last night, there's certainly no way to guarantee that that game won't go to Game 7. Now, you know, you might say, well, if you're guaranteeing the Suns to win in 6, why? Well, because the Warriors just got their ass whooped in Game 5. So... We whooped ass in game five. A little different. Not sure they were up 3-1, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's a lot more quit in that Dallas team than there is in that Memphis team. We'll talk about that in a minute. Real quick, two things. Jokic wins his second straight MVP. Fine, whatever. I know that happened a while ago. I haven't done a podcast since it happened. Um, I, you know, I went to game two. It was amazing. Game two was one of the best days of my life. Let's talk about that for a minute. Game two was one of the best days of my life. Thanks again to Keith Strader for winning some Suns playoff tickets and taking me. Appreciate you, brother. We had the best time. Not only were they great seats, but they were like sweet seats, and we didn't even know. We went up to the usher for our numbered section, and he wouldn't even let us in. He's like, no, 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 you can't get in here. You have to go to the suites. You have to take the elevator to the suite level. We had no fucking idea. Thanks, NBA Top Shot. We'll take that. We'll take that ride on up to suite level, where the beers are even more expensive, but whatever. The point being, we had a good-ass time. We watched the Suns kick ass. We were in the rich people section, so we were the loudest motherfuckers there. My videos of me screaming like a psychopath got retweeted by some sports account. It was a great time. It was an ass kicking for the ages. And I wanted to come on and talk about it, but these playoffs are moving quickly. And you lose a minute, you lose an hour to do something. My son's crying. All of a sudden, it's game three. And, oh, well, I didn't want to record after that. And then all of a sudden, it's game four. I didn't want to record after that. So I waited for game five. We delivered the fucking pounding of the series and now I'm back on the microphone. And I'm sure that anyone from the Ringer NBA Facebook group who might listen to this, and a couple of them do, I'm sure plenty of them would bitch about the fact that I don't want to record or talk after, you know, losses. But do you really want to hear me bitch about the referees? Because that's what I was going to do about game three and game four. Like, we all know that the Mavs made a boatload of threes. They shot the lights out. I don't need to explain that to you. We know that Luka played harder. I don't need to explain that to you. The the officiating was shit, and it wasn't why the Suns lost, but it's all I wanted to talk about. No one wants to hear that. Even Suns fans don't want to hear that. No one wants to hear just bitching about officiating, so there's no point. So I'm not going to sit here and do that. So I waited to come on and have something to talk about, and in that time, Jokic won his second MVP. 
and good for him. You know, that's fine. I mean, Nikola Jokic is a very worthy MVP candidate. But the caveat for me here is that you can no longer tell me that winning is like a key part of being an MVP. Like it used to be like, yeah, but did they win at least 55 games or did they get close to 60 wins? Like, get me a guy from a top team. But Jokic has now won MVP two years in a row winning games in the 40s. And it's not like he, you know, averaged a triple-double like Russell Westbrook did, which is why he got an MVP essentially. I mean, he damn near averaged a triple-double. But I'm saying he didn't like set some record that hadn't been broken in decades. He just won the award because of his tremendous efficiency. Now, maybe he broke efficiency records. The point being, Jokic hasn't been winning like 55 and 60 games. Now, okay, fair enough. His team is depleted and he's, you know, continue, continued to carry them to, you know, middle of the pack status by himself. Fair enough. I can acknowledge that. And that's why I'm not mad he won MVP. That's fine. But please don't ever tell me ever again that it has to be from a winning team because that is clearly not part of the criteria. And when I say a winning team, I mean like a top one or two seed. In the NBA, so many teams make the playoffs that, you know, making a four or five seed is not that impressive. And yes, they have a winning record. Like, I'm not trying to say they were below 500. Some nerd is going to be like, oh, well, technically, uh, that is a winning record. I understand that. You know what I mean. A team with top-tier success, 55-plus wins, is generally where an MVP comes from. And I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. And I hear it all the time. But at this point, we have clearly decided that MVP is the statistical outlier candidate that his team would crater most if he went off the court from a team that is like top six. That's like what MVP has become, and that's fine. The The biggest problem that everyone has always had with MVP is that there are no criteria. There really never have been. But it's very clear at this point that, you know, winning 55 or 60 games is not part of that criteria. You know, Devin Booker wasn't even really considered until the very end. And, you know, shout out to Joel Embiid for mentioning Devin Booker as, a, you know, a, a real candidate. The players know how good Devin Booker is. So, you know, either define the criteria or just agree that winning isn't really part of it. Because at this point, it's pretty clear it's just about being statistically efficient, which is fine. But... That would be new because that is not really what the MVP has truly always been about. So whatever. Yo Jokic winning, I don't care one way or the other. You know, I, I wanted Devin to win. He wasn't going to win. So it was really a toss-up between Jokic and Embiid with Giannis potentially in there as well. And I mean, I would have liked to have seen Embiid win. Um just because I think he's put in that work and, you know, he's an incredible two-way force, but the voters picked Jokic and I don't really, you know, whatever. I don't think that Jokic cares about winning MVP when he's getting bounced in the first round in like a gentleman's sweep, you know? I don't think that he's like, oh yeah, but I won MVP. You know, they want to win championships. Jokic wants to win harness races, but still. Regardless. Monty also won coach of the year. Suns head coach Monty Williams, well-deserved. It should be two in a row, and every fucking person knows it. The fact that Tom Thibodeau won last year is fucking ludicrous. 
It does seem like it meant more to Monty this year, though. Like, he did win back-to-back. The coaches voted Monty last year and this year. And that one may be a little bit more prestigious in Monty's mind because his peers voted him coach of the year two years in a row. But when, you know, Chris Paul was the one who told him, they told him at practice and told Monty that he won. And the reaction that he had, you know, it, it seemed like it meant a lot. And Monty's had a lot of personal difficulties in life and he's come a long way. And it's exciting to see a good man have this kind of success. And I think that's where we are, is we're watching a good man become a phenomenal coach and get his recognition. And tonight he's going to get his clothes out win and move on to a second straight Western Conference Finals. Well-deserved congratulations to Monty Williams on that one. Should be two in a row is two a row in the coaches' inner circle. And in fact, you know what? From now on, on this podcast, we're talking about who the coaches vote for when we talk about Coach of the Year. So back-to-back wins for Monty Williams. Let's just talk Suns-Mavs because we've already talked about it quite a bit. Um, Like I said, this is a closeout game. Devin Booker is phenomenal in closeout games. Everyone knows that. Since he has gotten to the playoffs, Book has been a killer. He certainly hasn't been perfect every game. No one is, but... In these closeout games and in the finals elimination game where, unfortunately, the Suns weren't able to get it done. But Booker is amazing in those games where everything's on the line. He honestly rises to his peak when the game is most difficult. And that is just so rare in sports. There are just so few guys who are that clutch. And Book is one of them. And I fully expect him to go off for 30 tonight and end Dallas's season. Despite how well Dallas has played at home, despite the improvement of their role players at home, despite Luka's better attitude at home, none of those things matter to me. It is a closeout game where Devin Booker has a chance to go back to his second straight Western Conference Finals. And you just can't tell me that he's not going to bring it home because he is. That's what he does. You know, I said this to someone on Twitter yesterday. My friend Tweeter Dell, at Tweeter Dell, uh, Dell was talking about You know, just the irrational hate for Devin Booker from NBA fans because there's a lot of it. And I said to him, you know, people can't get over the fact that for basically the first five years in Book's career, he was playing with G-leaguers. Most of the dudes who Book spent his early career with are not in the NBA anymore. He did not fail the Suns. The Suns failed him. Okay? Devin Booker never failed us. We failed him. That is a factual statement. Ryan McDonough can sit here and talk about, oh, I drafted Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, but you also drafted Josh Jackson and you also drafted Alex Len, you know, and, and you also did all these things that didn't work. And for years, the Suns were fucking terrible. And the only time that, you know, Booker was playing with halfway decent players, they would immediately get injured or get traded. I mean, it just, what it was, the Suns, were tanking for a very long time, then tried to win with, you know, incorrectly built half rosters. The team failed Book, okay? Book never failed the team. So, you know, people hate Devin Booker because they're like, oh, he's not a winning player. He wasn't a winning player before Chris Paul showed up. That's not true. When the season before Paul showed up, when Rubio was there, when Rubio and Booker and Aiton played, the Suns had a, you know, a 50-win pace. But just injuries and 
Suspensions and various things caused all sorts of problems. So, truthfully, if Book had ever been in an ecosystem of halfway decent players, the way that people would view him is very differently. And I think that that lends to this hatred that we see now. And they're going to hate and hate and call him annoying and all these things. And he's going to close Dallas out and shut them the fuck up. Because that's what Devin Booker does. He shuts people the fuck up. He is a trash-talking wizard. He is a fucking menace on the court who can score from literally anywhere. Like, do people watch Devin Booker play? Okay, this dude has a bag deeper than Houdini, okay? Devin Booker is a fucking monster. He can score from everywhere. He's got moves on moves on moves on moves, okay? This dude's got more moves than a ballroom dance class. It's ridiculous, Devin Booker is the king. He can score from literally anywhere. And people treat him like, oh, blah, blah, but he's okay. He's like, someone recently compared him to CJ McCollum that I saw. That's a ludicrous fucking comparison. It's a ludicrous comparison. CJ McCollum is nowhere near Devin Booker's planet as a player. I love CJ McCollum. He's awesome. He's very talented. He is nowhere near Devin Booker's planet. Devin Booker is Kobe Bryant. I'm sorry that that's very difficult for people to understand, but Devin Booker is Kobe Bryant. They have the same game. They're cold-blooded. They have the mentality. The difference is that Kobe got to play with prime fucking Shaq early in his career. That's the primary difference. Put Booker with prime Shaq and tell me what the fuck happens. I'll tell you what the fuck happens. is championships. Anyway, Booker in a closeout game. Luka with a shitty attitude. Probably going to see it at some point tonight. And everyone around me has said it at some point. Luca's attitude brings down the maps. Everyone knows that. No, we're not inventing the wheel by saying that, right? But even casual basketball fans watching the game with me, they're like, oh my God, why does Luca have such a bad attitude, right? He's bitching and moaning and complaining. And it affects Dallas. There were multiple possessions in game five where Luca's bitching at the refs while Dallas is essentially playing four on five transition defense because Luca's literally not getting back and the Suns are able to walk to the rim. I'm not complaining about these things. I love them. And I am sure that there will be less of them in Dallas in game six. I understand that. Especially uh, given that it's not a Scott Foster game, as we found out today. So... You know, unlikely to be just be gifted to Luca there. But, you know, the NBA has become more about matchup exploitation than ever before. Every single possession now is about, you know, finding the worst guy on defense, putting him into a pick and roll, you know, and trying to see if you, you know, do they switch it? Do they this, that, you know, whatever. It's It's all about exploiting matchups now. And I'm not saying that it hasn't always been that way. There have always been... X's and O's, and but but now we're literally to a point where every single play is about maximizing the efficiency of our offensive system against the biggest defensive weakness of the other team. There was a time when there was more of a hubris to basketball where you wanted to go against the other team's best defender because you wanted to prove something. You know, I want to score on that dude. 
And I'm not saying that that never happens now, but the way the game is played now is much more about exploiting those little, those little crevices, those little cracks in the foundations of the other team and, you know, finding ways to just blow those up and then blow a hole in their foundation and you crush them. And every time that Luca doesn't get back on defense or complains to the referees or stands around on offense because he's pouting, there's another hole available to exploit. And I just don't think that you listen to Bill Simmons and John Charks talk about game four. Listen to, you know, Mavs locked on Mavs. They all have expressed frustration with Luka Doncic's maturity. And I know that he's young. He's 23, blah, blah, blah. You know, hopefully that comes with age. But he's 23 with a $200 million contract in the world at his fingertips. And he still won't get in shape. And he still won't stop bitching at the referees all game. And he wants every single thing handed to him all the time. My fiance always says, and I agree with her 100% on this, Luka Doncic, when he is angry, pouts and becomes a whiner. He's not like Tom Brady or LeBron James or or Kobe or any other, you know, any number of athletes who when you piss them off, they go to a new level, right? Luka's not like that. When you piss him off, he's out of the game. His head's somewhere else. He's not focused. And that is a crucial thing that the Suns need to exploit. Draw a foul on him. Get a technical on him. Jaw with him. Because he just always has something to say. And you are very, very capable of getting in his head at any time. And I think that that is one of the biggest, if not the biggest flaw in Luka Doncic's game. is not his defense or his athleticism, blah, blah, blah. It's literally that when he gets in his own head, Dallas is nothing. They fall apart completely. And it's literally just Jalen Brunson isoing and, you know, pick and roll and trying to get, you know, floaters and layups and the occasional step back. And it's like, you know, this Jalen's a nice player, but when Luka's in his head, the Mavs fall apart. And Aside from the Biombo and Shamit switches, you know, putting in uh, Biombo for McGee, putting in Shamit for campaign, which both work phenomenally well. The biggest adjustment I would keep for game six is doing everything I can to get in Luka Doncic's head. And I know that that's fucking abstract and not even necessarily basketball, but it just doesn't matter. When you throw that guy off his game, he can't do anything. And I would love to see Devin Booker relentlessly trash talking Luka Doncic tonight because... Get in his head. Fuck with him. You know that he'll fall apart. And you know that the Mavs will fall apart with him. And this is just a classic series of 2-2. Everything went right for you in games three and four. Now your backs are against the wall. It's game six. You're at home. You think you can just ride that hot shooting. But the Suns are prepped and ready and have a championship in their sights. And this is just going to be the end. And I think it's going to be like Suns by seven. The Heat and 76ers. What a interesting series it has been. I mean, this last blowout just basically goes to show that, well, I don't see how the 76ers are going to get get a win in, in, in Miami. Uh, even if they somehow win game six and push this thing to seven, they were so thoroughly dominated on both ends of the court in that game that I just don't really see any scenario 
in which the 76ers can get this thing done. And it begs the question, did they make a tremendous mistake by trading for James Harden? And it begs the answer, yes, they did. They did. The You know, the simple fact of the matter is that as much as Daryl Morey has always believed in the stars and role players method, Daryl Morey doesn't have any championships to his name, to his resume. And it is fair to point out that the primary reason he doesn't have any championships is because of the superstar warriors who, you know, were built with, you know, they had four megastars and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, very few people could get through them. Only, you know, no one did really blah, blah. I understand that. Fair. However, those warriors were mostly homegrown. Steph Curry was a draft pick. Clay Thompson was a draft pick. Draymond Green was a draft pick. Harrison Barnes was a draft pick. Then they swapped Harrison Barnes out for Kevin Durant in the cap spike. Now, I understand the idea that they had four all-stars. They got the fourth one in the cap spike, blah, blah, blah. But they still built the core of their team through drafting. Daryl Morey has never done that. He has always been, you know, I'm going to acquire this guy via trade. I'm going to acquire this guy via trade. I'm going to acquire stars. I'm going to acquire stars. And it doesn't really work. They've never gotten even to the NBA Finals. And this Ben Simmons situation was, you know, unpredictable. But they traded Ben Simmons and depth for James Harden. That was never the answer, man. It was never, ever, ever the answer. The answer was trade everything you could for pieces that fit around Joel Embiid. And as much as I've dogged the Mavericks for being a heliocentric system, the Mavericks have also done the same stupid thing that the the 76ers did. They went and got KP, right? And that didn't work. The stars thing only works when the second one is really a star. And when you throw in all these pieces for a former star like really both of these teams did, even though KP was only a former star due to injury problems. But nonetheless, it doesn't work. You need depth. You need to surround your star player with pieces that fit. If secondary star players are not available, it does not make sense to just overpay former star players. And that's what the 76ers are about to do this summer. That James Harden contract is going to be one of the worst contracts of all time. And they're going to sign it. They didn't trade him to not do it. But the smart thing would have been to trade Ben Simmons for pieces that fit around Joel Embiid because you would have had more depth. And I'm not saying that you necessarily would have been able to beat the Heat in this series, but I don't think you would have lost that game by, what, 35. And, you know, it just harkens back to the whole... I You know, I didn't think that they made a horrible choice by keeping Simmons and Tobias Harris because of the way that those pieces fit together. And I was completely fucking wrong. The answer was to just keep Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid and build around them. I was completely wrong. A thousand percent wrong. I really thought that they had made a mistake by trading for Jimmy Butler because if you had kept Sarich and Covington around Simmons and Harris and Embiid, you really had something. I was just wrong. I was wrong. I was just a hundred percent wrong. That is a bad take on my part. They should have kept Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid. And Ramona Shelburne wrote a whole article about that pivot point the other day. It's a very good article. But we're seeing now the results of that. And that was just, I was 100% wrong about that choice. But you still could have solved that problem. You still could have pivoted out of that. Making that choice was a bad choice, but it wasn't the end of your franchise. Sending Ben Simmons and depth to the Nets for Harden was the end of your franchise. 
And now you're going to waste more years of Joel Embiid's prime because you're not going to be able to put pieces around them that matter. And, you know, the Tobias Harris contract is a major problem because the only way to get off that is, truthfully, to give up more assets. And, again, that's another situation where I I really like Tobias Harris. He always had his best years under Doc Rivers, so I also thought the Doc hiring kind of made sense, like, you know, he knows how to utilize Tobias and he was the guy who sort of got Tobias playing so well that Philadelphia acquired him in the first place. Hasn't really worked out like that. Um, but at this point right now, it looks like I said before, we're going to have, you know, a, a Miami Milwaukee uh, Eastern Conference final. And, you know, Miami has, Miami has done their job. I mean, I know that they didn't win the, the finals in 2020 in the bubble, but now they're on the precipice of going back to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, the Kyle Lowry thing, it worked well during the regular season. He hasn't made much of an impact in the playoffs due to injuries, but the roster they've built is still working. And I don't know how it's going to go against Milwaukee and Giannis. Um, I do think the Heat have more depth than Milwaukee if we get to that series, but we'll talk about that when they get there. For now, though, I just think that Philadelphia has made some horrible mistakes that are going to cost them. And I I kind of look at Joel Embiid as a guy who might join Carl Malone and Charles Barkley. Um, you know, other bigs who were very good. Well, Barkley's 6'4". He's not a big. Whatever. But the point is guys who are very good um, but just didn't quite get over the hump. And, you know, if Joel is tied to Harden, I would just – I would honestly let Harden walk. And I know that that sounds insane. Like when you traded so much for him and all these things, but like if you could find a sign and trade for him, I would do it. It just, it hurts to lose guys for nothing. It really does. But it hurts more to lose guys for nothing and then also sign a colossal $200 million contract that's going to tank your team. So, you know, don't, you don't, you don't compound a mistake just because you're upset about the first mistake. And that's what Philly's about to do. Good on Miami for handling their business. Jimmy Butler is playing like some of the best basketball of his career right now. Um, You know, this is why Jimmy has been in those MVP debates sort of as a borderline player, because every now and then he flashes this two-way brilliance that makes him look like, you know, he's one of the handful of best players in the league, like he's top five. Um, He is not consistently that good, especially offensively. He will really struggle at times, but... Jimmy Jimmy has never been a consistent player so much as he is a clutch player. Like, he's never been a good three-point shooter, but get him the ball in the clutch of a playoff game and he will bag a triple for you. Jimmy Butler is a clutch player, and I think that guys who rise to the occasion when it matters, I'd rather have one of those than someone who's putting up regular season numbers and falling apart. Give me Jimmy Butler over James Harden every time, and I think that everyone in the NBA you know, world would agree with me on that. So, In my notes for Warriors-Grizzlies, all I wrote was, well, well, well. (laughs) I mean, Curry literally came out and said the game plan for this one was whoop that trick. And uh, they did, but they was Memphis. Holy shit. No John Morant, no problem. And I know that the Warriors maybe just kind of came out and, you know, maybe they laid down when they saw things weren't going very well. But holy shit, this was an ass beating. And... I know that they did just beat the shit out of Grizzlies the other day. That is fair. And maybe we're just going to say, hey, this is just a home and home thing. It doesn't matter. But I just, that was a fucking ass beating. 
And the Grizzlies do play well without Jaw. And I just... Zach Lowe said like he worries a little bit when teams lie down in a game five, you know, situation like this one. And I kind of understand what he's saying. Like, I don't know. I haven't known what to make of this series the entire time. I thought it was going to be back and forth close every game. And at first it seemed like that's what it would be. And now it's devolved into like just insane ass whoopings. This is one of the more insane series of all time. Like, and it's just it's just weird. It's just a strange series that started so good and then devolved into like just just I mean 40 and 50 point leads like Jesus Christ, man. And you know, those points only count in one game. It doesn't carry over. It doesn't help them at all. So I understand, you know, why if you're the Warriors you're not worried, but man, I wouldn't want to give Memphis that much confidence when they already have so much confidence as it is. I wouldn't want to make them feel better about things. But you know, um, with Jaw being out for the playoffs, I don't, I don't think there's really any way for them to get through. I think this was a pretty awesome game for them, but um, you know, I think the Warriors are still going to get through, and I think that the Suns will be ready for the Warriors. I really do think that the Suns' size and length, and you know, just the number of wing defenders that we have. I think it's just going to be too much for the Warriors across the series. I just don't think the Warriors have the depth that they once had. And, you know, Clay Thompson hasn't been Clay Thompson. So that's something that, you know, if Mikhail Bridges basically plays better than, uh, you know, Clay Thompson and, you know, Devin Booker is putting up similar numbers to Curry. And, you know, Jay Crowder is battling Draymond Green. All of a sudden, we've still got Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul. And you're just running out of guys if you're the Warriors. So I think I think the Suns still on the path to the finals. And then the Bucks celtics um, You know, I first, you know, came on here after game one. And I said, well, this is what I'm talking about. The Bucks are the champions until someone... Proves them wrong, and blah, 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 blah. And then the Celtics came out the next game and whooped their ass. And, you know, this series was 2-2. But this game five was sort of exactly what I'm talking about. When you are a true champion, when you have actually won, those huge moments, you know what to do. You're prepared for them. You've been there before. And, you know, people dog Drew Holiday a lot, and he basically stole this game for... The Bucks, you know, he won this game for them. I mean, he sealed it up. And, you know, Bobby Portis did his thing again with a huge offensive rebound. And it's just Portis and Holiday were huge for the Bucks against the Suns in the finals last year. And they know what to do in those clutch moments. And everyone, well, you know, no Middleton and it's all Giannis. And, and you know, in a lot of ways that's true. But... Without much depth at all, the Bucks have found a way to just keep doing their thing just enough. They've just gotten enough to get this 3-2 lead. Now you got a chance to win it at home. And, I mean, that's just championship medal. It's championship basketball. It's just a veteran play, as we would say in football. Like, there are times when teams truly show you that they have learned from their experiences that they're never out of it, to never quit. And the Bucks put that fully on display 
And the Celtics still had multiple chances to win and couldn't get it done. And this Celtics team has been truly impressive. And from where they started the season to where they are now, you know, I think that there's going to be some people who panic and overreact if they lose this series. And I, I think that that is a mistake. I think that we just have to remember that they're a relatively young team and there is still growth in them. And, you know, again, you got to figure out the center situation. You know, maybe you can just bring back Horford and Williams next year and, you know, run this whole thing back. And maybe one more year of chemistry is is enough to get it over the hump. But um, I wouldn't want to break anything up if I was Boston over losing this series. Because you're playing a, the literal champion who, in a, in a fucking slugfest, and it's come down to the wire in a couple of these games now. now a couple, there were a couple of blowouts, but you delivered one. So, you know, they've played the Bucks toe-to-toe here. This is a lot like that 2013 Eastern Conference Finals I've talked about ad nauseum between the Pacers and Cavs, where Paul George basically played LeBron James to a tie. And the, the Heat barely squeaked by the Pacers. But Paul George literally proved that at that point he was basically on LeBron's level in one of the biggest series of all time. It was a phenomenal series. And in a lot of ways, this reminds me of that. And this is only the second round. So, you know, for all of the haranguing at all times about should the Celtics trade, you know, one of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, blah, 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 blah. You know, and we got over that for the most part when they, you know, shot up the standings this year with the good defense um, post-All-Star break or whatever it was. But I think there could still be some kind of, well, we need to make changes. We need. To, I don't think anyone needs to make changes. I think this team, I think this is the team. You just got to find ways to grow them together. And, you know, if you need to swap out one more piece or maybe get one more depth piece. Like to me, Boston needs another, just, just, just give me one more guy. Just give me one more guy who can give me five to 10 minutes in a pinch. And it just may be enough to put them over the top and just another year of, of, you know, seasoning and, you know, toughness from, you know, Tatum and Brown. I just, I wouldn't make big changes if I was Boston. And I don't think that they will. I think that, I think you've got your core. You just got to keep going and break through. And, you know, this is Judoka's first year as a coach. It's hard to get through in the first year. Not that it's never been done. It's happened. Nick Nurse won a title in his first year. Uh, you know, I think uh, Steve Kerr and um, the Cavs coach that they fired, David Blatt, I believe they were both rookie coaches when they coached against each other in the finals. Anyway, it just, the point is, you you go through these things. You go through playoff losses. And there could be a sense of, oh, we got to shake things up. And I just don't think that's the case for Boston. I just think... You need another year. You need a little more toughness out of Tatum. You need a little more just experience. I mean, and I know that Boston's had a lot of it, but man, Giannis is hard as fuck to defend for everyone. And it's just, to me, like losing a series to Giannis is like losing to prime Shaq. Like there's no shame in that or losing to prime Michael Jordan. There's no shame in that. Like, and you shouldn't shake everything up because of it, you should find that next level with what you've got when you're this close because they're playing them toe-to-toe. And if you're Boston, you just got to look at this thing and say, we could still win two games and get out of this series. It's not over. And that's the mindset you got to have. And, I mean, that game six is going to be 
pretty awesome. These playoffs have been pretty great. There's been some blowouts. Um, you know, at times we've had that in in over the years where it's like every home game is a blowout. And, uh, but there have also been some really great games in these playoffs. There have been some really great moments. Um, I've enjoyed these playoffs. They've been stressful, but, you know, they've been pretty good. But overall, I'm prepped and I'm ready for the Suns to get through the maps tonight. Take this thing to the next level. That next level, obviously, being the Western Conference Finals. Oh, and by the way, one other thing. You know, when that Drew Holiday trade went down, and then when they subsequently gave him basically a max, people were really kind of like, oh, boy, I don't know about this one. You've really mortgaged the future. You've given everything away. And I don't know, Drew Holiday, how much of an upgrade is he over Bledsoe? I don't know. He's not that much better statistically, blah, blah, blah. And there was a lot of like, I don't know if this is good enough. I mean, the Bucks have now won a title basically because of Drew Holiday. And now they've put themselves in position to go back to the Eastern Conference Finals because of his contributions. And I know it's not all because of him, but that trade was questioned pretty hard for what they gave up for him for how much they had already given up, for what it meant for their future in terms of, like, this is your team now. And then subsequently, when they maxed Holiday, people were like, whoa, I don't know if he's worth And he has been worth every penny. And it has just been worth it. And it pains me to say that. I got sick of watching that motherfucker make threes in the fourth quarter of playoff games, finals games last year. I really fucking hated it, but he did it. He really did. And, you know, I still see people, like, dogging him sometimes. Like, oh, Drew Holiday, he's not good enough for this. He can't be the second option, blah, blah, blah. And he just keeps finding ways to help his team win. That trade is going to go down in history as a great, great all-time trade. Because the Bucks gave up picks that would be players that they wouldn't even play anyway because they're back-end first-round picks. Even with without Holiday, they would have been back-end first-round picks with Giannis in the regular season. There's no question. They gave up Drew Bledsoe, who they were dying to get rid of anyway. And they acquired a player who fits perfectly into their ecosystem and is an absolute defensive menace and a clutch shooter. And who, again, another guy who goes to, you know, his highest when, you know, everything's on the line. Like, Drew Holiday has proven himself to be a very clutch performer at the highest levels of the game. And the Bucks have locked themselves into a three-man core that has one wrecking ball and two, you know, finesse two-way players who understand how to perform at the highest moments in in Middleton and Holiday. And it just pisses me the fuck off because I feel like it's going to be a lot of Suns-Bucks finals and I'm going to have to be dealing with these motherfuckers for years. But I really, I want the Bucks right now. I want the Suns to go back through the Bucks in the finals. I don't want, I don't want like the Bucks to lose along the way and then the Suns don't get a chance to go through Giannis. I want us to go through Giannis. We built this team to handle Giannis. We added Biombo and McGee because we wanted bodies to throw at that dude. And I want the Bucks in the finals because I want the Suns to show that they were built to beat that team and they would beat that team. Right now, it looks like that's what's going to happen. To me, if you were looking at the trajectory of these playoffs, you would say the finals is going to be Suns versus Bucks. That's what I would say. I, that's that's what I see. It's what I've seen the whole season. I'm not coming off it. I'm sticking to it. I'm going with the rematch, but this time the Suns get the job done. And by the way, if you watch Biombo play game five, you'll understand why I'm excited as fuck when the Suns added him. He doesn't have an offensive game. I understand that. All he can do is dunk. But his ability to switch around the perimeter, to guard 
so many different levels of players. He stayed in front of so many different guys who are quicker than him because he's just agile enough. It's amazing. And Biombo is one of those guys. You know, Biombo was a classic. You know, he was the summer of 2016 overpay. You know, that summer where everyone got money and we were like, this is the new normal in the NBA. And then we realized the cap spike was a one-year thing and money just doesn't go up forever. And, you know, Biombo kind of got forgotten and then he was out of the league for a minute. When you have a very specific skill, when you are really good at two or three things, you only can work on a really good team. Like, Biombo would be no good on the Orlando Magic, which is where he, he's been there before, and he wasn't good. Biombo is only good with guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker who can get their shot from everywhere, and they don't need Biombo to shoot. They just need him to set screens, play defense, and roll to the rim. And he fits perfectly within this ecosystem. And that unlocks what he is capable of doing. It's just there are certain players who can't thrive in any system. Biombo is one of those guys. You can't put him on any team. But you put him on a team like the Suns or even like the Warriors or other teams with truly, truly, you know, offensive systems built on passing and moving the ball and cutting and having exploiting every weakness. That's where Biombo can be successful because you're going to be able to use his height, to use his length, use his quickness. And hey, throwing down dunks, we'll take that. He doesn't need to be a shooter. You know, this whole thing about, well, everyone in the NBA has to shoot. That's not true, especially when you're not starting. You're going to be able to exploit a lot of matchups if you're able to play effective pick and roll basketball and roll to the rim hard. And that's stuff that Biombo can do. And that's just yet another example of James Jones being the fucking man and knowing exactly what to do to pick up a player on the fringes who other people think has no value, who can become an integral part of what you do. It was what happened with Torrey Craig last year. Torrey hasn't been as effective this year, but it's been Biombo and McGee really this year. Two guys who, you know, other people weren't necessarily, you know, Biombo again was out of the league. So that's really, you know, I think other teams were definitely interested in JaVale McGee, but Biombo was out of the league. And just another example of how James Jones is, you know, he won executive of the year last year. I don't know if he'll win it again this year. He probably should. I mean, you know, the Suns only got better. Um, but the Suns ecosystem is awesome right now. It's just awesome to be a Suns fan. And that's why I can come on here and talk about them over and over because for a decade, the team was bad and didn't do anything right. It made poor decision after poor decision. And now we're on the precipice of our second straight Western Conference Finals. And all we need to get it done is for Devin Booker to have one of his classic closeout games. It's We're literally at the point where it's like, hey, this is what Devin Booker does in the playoffs. That's an exciting place to be. This is what Devin Booker does in the playoffs. And what this is, is winning and closing out series. This is not a place we've been. And I understand that we still don't have a ring. But we're coming for it. A very effective pause. And now let's talk about some football real quick before we get the fuck out of here. I couldn't possibly do an episode without talking about this. Fox announces that Tom Brady, when he retires, will be going to their number one booth alongside Kevin Burkhart for 10 years and $375 million. Couple things. Number one, that's more money than he's made in his NFL career. I think that's very interesting. Number two, that is very clearly double Tony Romo's number. 
Tony Romo's making $18 million. At CBS, Tom Brady very clearly wanted double that. That's also double what ESPN paid to get Aikman and, um, well, not quite double what they paid to get Aikman and Buck. I think they paid them both like 11 or $12 million or something, but it's more than both of them. Now, I have no problem with Tom Brady planning for his retirement, and obviously, if I'm trying to choose between two games and I can't choose and Tom Brady's on the mic in one and you know some other guy's on the mic in the other, I'm going to choose the Tom Brady game. I understand the, the idea. However... I mean, number one, I can't believe that a guy as competitive as Tom Brady isn't going into coaching, but I'm thinking that has to do with Giselle more than anything else. We all know what we would do for the woman of our dreams, right? We all know when when the love of your life shows up, we all know how you make changes to to suit her, right? So I'm guessing that maybe, you know, maybe Giselle said, uh, yeah, you're going to the booth. <laughs> Um, and that, you know, that may be part of it. And I, Hey, I can respect that. Um, I'm surprised by, it. I really just, I always thought he would be a coach cause I thought he was just too competitive, but you know, Hey, uh, you do your thing. It worries me a little bit just because I feel like, like, is he truly just not focused anymore on football? Cause you know, he, when they tweeted it, you know, he said, I'm excited, but you know, there's a lot of unfinished business left and It's just when he retired, he said like he couldn't make that competitive commitment anymore. And now he's talking about the booth. And I just, Tom Brady has always been insane about his work ethic. And he has always been a, you know, just a bit of a nutcase who thrived and succeeded by working harder than everyone else around him, even at age 44, 43, whatever. And these things make me wonder a little bit if, I mean, I I don't, like, I don't know if he, where his head is. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is one of those things that his agent like negotiated for him and then it got leaked and he's just like acknowledging it. Like, I, I don't, I don't, we, we don't know how it all works, but he clearly signed off on it. And there's all these things about, oh, he was going to maybe own the dolphins and blah, blah, blah. Like, I really just hope his head is still in the game because watching Tom Brady play football is, you know, one of the great joys of my life. And I consider this, I think that this will be his final season. He might play two more years, but the way that things are going, it seems like this is going to be it. And if this is his swan song, number one, the Bucks got to win the fucking Super Bowl. And number two, I hope that he is in it to win it and focused and locked in and just crazy Tom Brady every week. Like, I want to see the nutcase who looks like a 28-year-old still when he's, you know, running out onto the field in introductions. And, you know, I want to see the pinpoint passes. And I want to see, you know, the defensive you know, reading that shows that, you know, he knows every single thing that they do in a way that only Tom Brady can know. You know, I want to see all that. And, you know, just selfishly, like, I hope that he is still focused on the game enough to not be, you know, thinking so much about this. It just seems like Tom has been thinking about life after football a lot. And that's his right. He he could have been thinking about that for years. It's just that if that's where he wants to be, that's where he should be. I just hope that he is not somewhere else mentally while still playing. Because that's really when, that's when it's over for these guys. And it's natural to think about other things. I'm not trying to lambast him or judge him or criticize him for that at all. I'm not. I'm really, really not. I think that, I think he's going to be awesome in the booth. Other people don't seem to think so. A lot of people are like, I don't think Tom Brady will be good at this at all. I don't understand how Tom Brady could be bad in the booth. I mean, if 
Like, I understand Romo's personality is so whatever, but just think about the way that Tom Brady knows everything going on with an offense and a defense. Like, you don't want to hear him break that stuff down. I I don't even understand the idea that he could be bad at it. I think he's going to be fantastic. I just don't want his head somewhere else when he's still playing games with dudes running 100 miles an hour trying to take his fucking head off. That's really all it is for me. It's not a... When you're done, you need to be done. And I just hope that Tom is not done that he is locked in and that all of this stuff is just, hey, my agent's been getting me prepared for life after football and we just got it locked in and it is what it is. I hope that's what it is. That's my hope. Um, Because I just don't want him out there with his head elsewhere while you're taking hits. That's just, that's not good. Um, And I, I don't think that Tom Brady is that way. I don't think that he's that kind of guy, right? Like he's, I mean, you know, he's always been, you know, there were the famous videos of him like dancing at, you know, soccer games and all these, like he's always enjoyed his life. So I don't think that this is, you know, he's cliff diving and all these things in the off season. Like, I don't think that any of this necessarily means that, you know, he's not competitive anymore. I just, there's been a lot of smoke about a lot of different things about after the career. And I just hope that he is still completely locked in. And I believe he will be. But it's just worth talking about and worth thinking about because it's one of those things that's popped into my head. Like, hey, you know, I hope this thing goes well. And But I'll tell you what, again, whenever he does hang him up and when he does go to the booth, I will choose the Tom Brady game. Just because I, you know, for so many years now, we've had to listen to him talk about football through, for a long time, it was through the lens of the Patriots where you just don't say anything. And now it's through the lens of the Buccaneers where it's all about, you know, having fun. And, then, you know, they're just doing a good time. But you're still trying to win and keep your secrets. And I want to just hear Tom Brady talk about football. I want to just hear him be like, look, right now they're in a, you know, they're, they're in an under front. And what I like to do against this is blah, blah. And I'd have my tight end run a seam route because, you know, in our route tree, blah, blah. You know, I just want to hear Tom Brady talk about football. We know that he is maybe the greatest football mind of all time, at least one of the greatest football minds of all time as a player. Um, you know, other people will say Peyton Manning, fine, whatever. I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to argue, but I'm just saying that we know that Tom Brady has one of the great minds of all time for football. And I would love to hear him break games down. And I don't understand how anyone could say anything else. I want to hear all those things I've never got to hear from him because he was so secretive. You know, he does his Monday radio spot with Jim Gray or whatever, and he really doesn't say anything. He's never said anything because he's still playing. I want more than anything for him to step into the booth and really tell us, you know, really tell us what it's about. And uh, I think he will. And I think he's going to be great at it. And that's my thoughts. Other people, not so much. Other people, not a big fan of the idea. But, you know, they don't like Tom Brady. So it's not new. And then this last thing. This is about football, not football. EA is ending their partnership with FIFA. So from now on, it's going to be EA Sports Football Club instead of, you know, FIFA. The reason this matters to me and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I hope that this, you know, leads to them eventually ending their licensing deal with Madden. Now, I believe they renewed it recently and it's still going to go for a very long time, but... Madden has really not updated or changed a lot because they haven't had to because of their licensing deal that with the NFL that allows them to just um, 
they don't update anything. You know, they have the, the completely locked in deal with the NFL. So they don't have to make huge changes to the engine. They don't have to change the game. And a lot of people my age remember back when it wasn't that way. And there was another game called ESPN Pro Football 2K5 that was like really a great competitor to Madden. And that's when EA, you know, got the licensing deal with the NFL and locked it up and wouldn't let anyone else play. Now, I don't know that this will lead to that because I think the big difference here is that EA still has licensing deals with the individual teams and the individual leagues. So for example, like they still have licensing deals with the Premier League and all the Premier League teams and the Champions League and all the Champions League teams. They just don't have the licensing deal with the governing body, FIFA. But like, I don't think that matters. Like, I don't know that 2K has a licensing deal with FIBA. Like there's never been a basketball game called FIBA. So I don't know that that really matters to the actual game itself. And I think that's the difference here is I don't think that you could get individual team licenses without having the NFL license. So I don't know that this matters, but given that this is happening, given that college football is coming back with the new NIL, NIL deals, and I know that that's EA too, ugh, but nonetheless, I just hope that that NFL exclusive license ends and we get back to creating games that are competitive because Madden is the same and it's getting old and I just want something different from a different mindset. And, you know, I still enjoy gaming. I'm still a gamer, but I don't enjoy Madden the way that I once did or the way that I still enjoy 2K because I don't think that, you know, Madden is improving. And, you know, a lot of 2K gamers don't think 2K is improving. And in a lot of ways, it gets stagnant. Um, you know, the NBA Live series has not kept up um, in any way. They never hit their deadlines. You know, EA has just never been able to deliver a basketball game for whatever reason. But um, I just hope that this is the first step towards the end of exclusive licensed video gaming deals because it would just be nice for an independent studio to pay for the needed license and develop it and I know that the NFL doesn't work that way and it's all about the blah 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 but maybe we could just fix something in this fucking world and make it better ugh that is the Blood Doctor show basketball, football, football, video games gambling, we covered it all today and it's on a Thursday not even on a Wednesday the Wednesday shows are usually the best shows, but this was a pretty good one. It was supposed to be recorded on a Wednesday, if that makes you feel any better. But I decided to wait till the end of last night's games, get some rest, hit you with a fresh brain so that you might actually enjoy my words, and I might enjoy saying them. And I did, and you did too, and it was excellent. So good for us. Good for us all. Let's have a better 2022 than we've had so far, because it's been a rough one. Let's make the rest of it good. Let's get the Suns championship. Let's love all of those around us. Peace to you and yours. Peace to your family, your new family, my new family. Love, joy, happiness, spread it all. I'm just in a good mood this morning. I hope you are too. Peace.